you are worthy, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honour and power, for you created all things, and by your will they were created and have their being. Open our hearts to your word and your word to our hearts now, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, somebody start waving at me when I go over time. I've not got my watch. Um, some years ago, the British Dance Fellowship had their annual conference at Cliff College. And just a few days before their conference, the speaker fell through. And they phoned through to Christchurch Forward, that well-known bastion of Christian dance, <laughs> and asked, would they have someone who could do the Bible readings for them? Hugh Palmer thought this would be a jolly jape and gave the job to me. <laughs> I now have the British Dance Fellowship under my belt, the Winter Music Festival. I'm just waiting for an invitation from the quilting and banner-making group <laughs> so that I can complete a triumvirate of speaking to conferences I know absolutely nothing about. <laughs> my knowledge of music could be written on the back of a packet of quavers. And um, my... No And my knowledge of mixing is limited to mixing it, which I do quite well. I want to talk this morning about glory and grace of God. I want to bring before you the glory of God and the grace of God. And this passage comes, uh, we've had it read to us, out of the book of Revelation. And when you're reading Revelation, there's two things you have to remember. Number one is Revelation 1.5, where it says, He loves us, I'll read it to you, to him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood. This is what Christ has done. He does love us. He has freed us. We are released from our sins by his blood. That's one bookend of Revelation. The other is Revelation 21 and 22, where we see the people of God gathered into the presence of God, united with him like a bride and a bridegroom. Between those two bookends are all the details. Some of it's incredibly difficult to understand. Much of it is in imagery that means very little to us in the 20th, 20, sorry, 21st century. Just a little behind the times there. And, uh, but between those two bookends, that's what you have to keep in focus. He has loved us. He has freed us from our sins by his lovingly shed blood. And he will gather us into his presence in the city of God. Now, having set those two bookends, let's read this passage. Then I saw in the right hand, oh, let's just stop at the right hand of God. Let's just stop there. Where did we first meet it? Well, yesterday, or was it Friday night? You must have read about the right hand of God where we first meet it in Exodus chapter 15. Your right hand, O Lord, sang Moses and Miriam, glorious in power. Your right hand, O Lord, shatters the enemy. The enemy of our souls has been defeated. 
You stretched out your right hand and the earth swallowed them. The right hand of God is strength, honour, protection, but also at the right hand of God are pleasures forevermore, says Psalm 16. I've set the Lord at my right hand. He's set me at his right hand. At the right hand of him who sat on the throne, a scroll with writing on both sides and sealed with seven seals. Well, let's just go back and think about the throne for a second. The throne of God, yes, it's a symbol of his power and of his authority, but it's also a symbol of judgment. For you've maintained my just cause. You've sat on the throne giving righteous judgment, says Psalm 9. The Lord sits enthroned forever. He's established his throne for justice. As he looks upon this broken world, he will come in justice and will set those things right that are wrong. Sing praises to the Lord who sits enthroned in Zion. Tell among the peoples his deeds. Throne of God, Isaiah saw him on the throne. Isaiah had died. The king, the beloved king had died. But God had not fallen off his throne. God never falls off his throne. When the most calamitous political things happen, God is still on the throne. And there's this scroll Written front and back, it's complete, it's tightly sealed, seven seals. This tells us that the secret things belong to the Lord our God. Deuteronomy 29, 29. What's written on this scroll, he knows. He knows what lies in darkness and nothing is hidden from him. Daniel 2, 22. Nothing is all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. It's complete, it's secret, it's secure knowledge in the right hand of God. And there are seven seals, a sign of authority, a sign of uh, closure, a sign of secrecy, a sign of witness. Seal it up. You, Daniel, shut up the words. Seal the book until the time of the end. There was unrevealed truth, which only is in the hand of God. Uh, my wife and I lived in Central Asia for 10 years, and uh, everything was written. It was all signed, sealed, and delivered. Here we've got a picture of in the right hand of him who sits upon the throne is the signed, sealed, delivered covenant of God in which are written all the secret things and which he alone holds and he alone is worthy to read. And they looked in all creation and no one no one was found worthy enough, strong enough, pure enough 
There was no hope that the secrets of Almighty God could be communicated. No champion, even in the throne room of heaven, so it seemed. Surely no one but God himself could reveal the word of God written on the scroll. And I began to weep loudly because no one was found worthy to open the scroll or to look into it. John is weeping with frustration and sadness. Is no one going to answer these questions? Is no one going to come forward? Is no one going to reveal the will of God? And there are many of us who weep in ignorance before the unopened counsel of God. And the words of Jesus to us, you, you don't understand what I am now doing weigh heavily upon us, but you will understand. And one of the elders said to me, weep no more. Now who are these elders? 24 of them with thrones around the throne Well, they're probably meant to signify the 12 patriarchs, the sons of uh, Jacob, sons of Israel, and the 12 apostles. We find them again in chapter 21. And the gates of the city are named after the tribes of Israel. And the foundations of the city are the apostles. Now, let me introduce you to the patriarchs. There was Reuben, firstborn, went up to his father's concubine and committed incest with her, Bilhah. And some of you will enter into the city of God through the gate of Reuben because you've either committed or had forced upon you unwarranted unwanted sexual activity within the family. And there was Simeon and Levi who were cold-blooded murderers. They tricked the city of Shechem into having all the men circumcised so that Hamor could marry Dinah, the daughter of Jacob. And when the men were nursing their wounds, Simeon and Levi went into the city and slaughtered them all. And some of you have hated enough to murder. And you will enter the city of God through the gate of Simeon or Levi. And then there's Judah. Oh, we'll get no benefit if we kill Joseph. Let's sell him. Some of you have betrayed family members or hated them so much you'd be willing to sell them. And some of you will enter the kingdom of God, the city of God, through the gate of Judah. Or you could name any of them, really, Gad and Asher and Issachar and Naphtali and Zebulun. They all sold their brother. This was a dysfunctional family. And God chooses to name the gates of his city after them because only those who are sinners, who've washed their robes on the outside of the city, can come in to eat of the tree of life. That's the grace of God. Let me introduce you to the 12 apostles, 
Peter who spoke much and delivered little, who denied his Lord. Some of you will go into the city that way. Thomas who doubted and the others, Andrew and Bartholomew, they all ran away. This is the grace of God that into the city of God he draws those who have failed. And it's the glory of God to do so. One of the elders said to me, weep no more. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered so that he can open the scroll and its seven seals. The angel threw down the challenge. Who is worthy? And the elder speaks the words of comfort. The lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, the Lord Jesus. And I looked for a lion and there was a lamb. And between the throne and the four living creatures and among the elders, I saw a lamb standing as though it had been slain with seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. This is cartoon language. You've seen political cartoons in the newspapers. Sometimes Britain is portrayed as a bulldog or Russia is portrayed as a bear or the USA as an eagle. Here we've got the Lord Jesus portrayed as a lamb that is slain, seven eyes, seven horns, slain yet standing, seven horns. We come back to the horns. We looked at the horns yesterday indicating complete power, seven eyes, complete knowledge. And then the seven spirits, the seven spirits of God come three times in Revelation, the early chapters, uh, verse, chapters 1 verse 4 and 3 verse 1. It's caused quite a lot of spilt ink. What are the seven spirits of God? Uh, the best answer I've come across is is a reference to Isaiah chapter 11, which interestingly ties in with the branch of Jesse, the root of Jesse. A shoot will come up from the stump of Jesse and his roots, from his roots a branch will bear fruit. The spirit of the Lord will rest on him, spirit of wisdom Spirit of understanding, spirit of counsel, spirit of power, spirit of knowledge, spirit of the fear of the Lord. Sevenfold spirit uh, referred to in Isaiah 11. Uh, Some people have thought it refers to seven ministering angels of the seven churches or the sevenfold gifts of the spirit from uh, 1 Corinthians 12. But when I looked at 1 Corinthians 12, I could count eight. Um, So maybe that one isn't quite so good. And this lamb went and took the scroll from the right hand of him who was seated on the throne. A a lamb with hands, apparently. Approaches the throne with complete confidence. And fearlessly does what no one else in all creation can do. This is the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is the lamb that was promised by Abraham. The Lord himself will provide a lamb. This is the lamb who 
was much more effective than the Passover lamb. The Passover lamb was only for one nation, only for one people, extracting that people out of Egypt. This is a lamb whose blood is effective for all nations. This is Abel's lamb, a sacrifice with which God was pleased. And when he'd taken the scroll, the four living creatures, and we could spend a long time on the four living creatures, but if you want to see the four living creatures, go to Ezekiel chapter 1. Ezekiel chapter 1, you'll see the vision where, where the glory of the Lord is coming up in this, this indescribable hovering thing with four whirring wheels and, and there are four creatures that seem to be carrying the throne of God and the spirit of these creatures is in the wheels and they move and it's psychedelic and maybe this is the four creatures that John is referring to here. When he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb, each holding a harp, golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song. We've already had the song, you are worthy, our Lord and God, to receive glory, honour and power, for you created all things. But now the song of worthiness is addressed to to the lamb. You are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals because you were slain and with your blood you've purchased men for God. Goes back again to that verse 1-5. He loved us and freed us from our sin. He's purchased men for God. From every tribe and language and people and nation. And you've made them to be a kingdom and priests to serve our God, and they will reign on the earth. The reasons for this praise this Lamb has freed the people of God, He's redeemed them. This Lamb is much grander than the Passover Lamb. This Lamb is effective for every tribe, tongue, people and nation. This is the global saviour who's procured men and women for God, made us into a citizen, into citizens in the kingdom of God and priests and they will reign on the earth. And then I looked And heard the voice of many angels numbering thousands upon thousands and 10,000 times 10,000. John can't number the created beings singing the praise of God in heaven. They circled the throne and the living creatures and the elders in a loud voice they sang. And they now put the two songs together. Worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honour and glory and praise. The same song of worthiness that was addressed to God on the throne is addressed to the lamb. And I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and on the sea and all that is in them singing. To him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be praise and honour and glory and power forever and ever. And the four living creatures said, Amen, and the elders fell down and worshipped. 
When you listen to Radio 4 and you see or hear the name of the Lord Jesus being mocked, those tongues will declare that him who sits on the throne and the Lamb are worthy of praise and honour and glory and power. Their mockery will be turned to praise. Those who currently stand opposed to the gospel, those who stand and persecute the people of God and imprison and beat the people of God, your brothers and sisters in Somalia and in Central Asia and in North Korea, and those who mock the Lord Jesus will declare that him that sits upon the throne and and the Lamb are worthy of praise and honour. You've made us a kingdom and priests. And it goes back to that verse I referred to yesterday in 1 Peter 2 verse 9. What is the role of the priest? What was a priest's job in the Old Testament? The job of the priest was to stand between God and the people. He was a mediator. He took the sacrifices of the people into the presence of God and he brought the forgiveness and blessing of God out to the people. He stood in the middle. He spoke to God about the people. He spoke to the people about God. He pronounced the blessing of God on people. May the Lord keep you. May the Lord bless you and keep you and cause his face to shine upon you. And he taught the ways of God to the people of God. So what then is the purpose of a kingdom of priests? To stand between God and the other nations. To speak to God about the peoples, about the nations, and to speak to the nations about God. To declare the forgiveness of God to a broken world. To declare the blessing of God to a broken world. To unpack and teach the forgiveness of God to a broken world. This is what they'd been redeemed for. You are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession that you may declare or proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvellous light. Paul picks up this idea of of the priestly uh, uh, responsibility of proclaiming at the end of Romans where he says, the Lord Jesus, God has given me the priestly duty of proclaiming the gospel of God so that the Gentiles may become an offering acceptable to God, sanctified by the Holy Spirit, Romans 15. So I say again to you that the purpose of election, the purpose of your being chosen is to declare. You are a special people, but it's to be passed on. Abraham was chosen from among the nations to be a blessing to the nations. His first opportunity to be a blessing for the nations was to pray for Sodom, plead for Sodom. 
that may be a responsibility that's coming to us as a church in the UK quicker than we thought. The people of God have been loved by Jesus to love the nations, freed by his blood to offer freedom to others, made citizens of heaven to offer the same to others, forgiven so that we can live those as those who are forgiving. And so why are we so dumb like Zachariah? Why are we so embarrassed like Elizabeth? We're pregnant with good news and we're not bringing it to birth. May the Lord have mercy upon us. But the praise of heaven cannot be contained. It reverberates around the whole created universe, countless angels declaring the worthiness of the Lamb and the chorus is picked up in every corner of creation because every knee will bow And every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. The Lamb is worthy of all things that can be given to him. Your best. All praise, all power, all wealth, all wisdom, might and honour are his All things come from him. We're only returning to him his own property. And the elders fell down and worshipped. So what's all this got to do with mission? Mission is taking and communicating the whole counsel of God. All that I have commanded you, said Jesus in the Great Commission in Matthew 28, and taking it across boundaries. Now that might be across your garden fence. It might be across the threshold of your neighbour's heart. But it might be social, linguistic, geographical, cultural, financial, ethnic, intellectual and many other boundaries. But the ministry of music gets through in places where the spoken word cannot get. On a Sunday morning, most Sunday mornings, my wife and I and a team of others... We have a, um, an evangelistic uh, Christianity Explored group with international students. But before we start that, we gather with the other students uh, at Lighthouse uh, in, in the Ministry of Forward. And several of the internationals have said, it's the music that speaks to us. So there we are. We've prepared all our you know, study and all the rest of it, and they forget most of that. They don't forget the music. They don't forget the words that they have sung. The medium of music gets to places, crosses boundaries, gets underneath the radar and deposits truth in places that the spoken word cannot get to. So for all means do it, but by all means make sure it's accurate and that the message that you're communicating is true. Here we see the core of this message that Christ the rescuer by whose blood people have been purchased from every nation. This is the work of Christ on the cross. He is worthy of adoration and praise in heaven now and he will be worshipped throughout creation either out of wondrous love 
or abject fear. But he will be worshipped. And this is the prelude to the next chapters in which we see before the throne, gathered before the throne, the whole of creation. Because he sits there to judge. There might even be a few Brits there. But I want to be there on that day. Surrounded by Afrikaners and Bengalis and Chinese and Khosa and Yemenis and Zulus. See, A, B, C, X, Y, Z. (laughs) There'll be a few in the middle. I want to see the promise that the Lord made to Abraham that every nation would be blessed. I want to be there on that day. See the full number of the Gentiles brought in. I want to see the father welcoming his children. I want to see the son embracing his bride. I want to see the spirit gathering the people of God into the presence of God. Because the songs we sing now are the echoes of heaven. And when we worship the Lamb in song, we are simply resounding, resounding the praises of heaven. And when the praises of heaven are sung, every knee will bow and give glory and honour to the Lamb and to the one on the throne. Let's pray. Oh, gracious God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we stand amazed at your glory. We look on in wonder as the hosts of heaven adore you. We look on in wonder as you sit enthroned and your, your very presence fills our whole being. And you are worthy of honour and praise and might. And we stand amazed at your grace. That you should accept us as children. You should want us as bride You should desire to dwell in us. Oh, merciful God, fill us with this vision of your glory and grace. And when you've filled us with it, let us pass it on to others and let us live as those who have received all that you have given. In Jesus' name, amen.